Welcome to the At Passion This Show, where it's our mission to highlight the positive impact being made by successful entrepreneurs in the medical cannabis industry. Now, here's the host of the At Passion This Show, Tim Strombol. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into the broadcast. Thank you so much for being with us, wherever it is, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on the site. A very exciting podcast for you this afternoon as we are going to be talking to the gentleman sitting right across from me right now. His name's Corey Ray. He is the founder of the Alaska Cannabis Institute and the event coordinator for the Northwest Cannabis Classic. Okay, the goal of this event, by the way, to contribute to the promotion and development of the cannabis industry throughout the Northwest. They've already completed events in Anchorage, Alaska, and Tacoma, Washington in May and in August. They now have their last stop of this year, of the season, I guess, in Portland, Oregon. That's going to take place in just a couple weeks. In this show, we're going to talk about how the Alaska Cannabis Institute is impacting the Alaska cannabis community. Say that five times fast. The Northwest Cannabis Classic, why you should should go if you're in the area or if you're without the area, I guess, and how it came to be. And an interesting topic we haven't covered so far on the show, cannabis strain names, how they impact public perception of the industry. So a great couple of topics. We're going to get to our first topic in just a second. First, I just want to let you know this podcast being presented by Online Marijuana Design, the original and longest running cannabis branding agency in North America. They've been featured on CNN Money, GeekWire, Huffington Post, MJ Business Daily, just to name name a few. Find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OMD Agency or online at omdagency.com. What a mouthful. Corey, welcome into the show. How are you doing, buddy? Tim, thanks for having me. Doing well. I'm pumped, man. Thank you for, for nothing else giving me a break from that intro. I feel like I'm sweating in here now. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, first off, let's start with the education behind the Alaska Cannabis Institute, which you are the founder of. Okay, so you're up in Alaska. What was the goal in establishing this institute, and what problem were you really looking to solve when you created it? Sure. So in 2013, Alaska was uh, looking to legalize marijuana, and so they put ballot measure two on the ballot, which was to legalize marijuana, actually regulate it like alcohol was the terms that they used in Alaska. And so Alaska didn't have really any experience with any marijuana dispensaries on the medical side, even though they had legal marijuana. And obviously they didn't have any retail rec stores because they didn't have that yet. It wasn't legal. And so uh, there are a lot of questions from a lot of people who were wanting to get into the space. And I had a lot of friends in Alaska who were calling me because I was in Washington at the time asking me, hey, what do I know? Uh, who do I know? Who can I put them in touch with? And so what I did was I organized a bunch of people, not just from Washington State, but also from Colorado and Oregon and uh, even California, parts of California. So uh, people who had experience with medical marijuana, but also recreational retail marijuana. And we brought them all up to Alaska, and we uh, essentially shared with Alaskans uh, their perspective on the industry. So people who are working in the space every single day. And we shared with Alaskans the risks, the rewards, uh, the issues that they need to be aware of in order to be compliant, but also the issues they need to be aware of to turn a profit, so 280E and taxes. And a lot of people hadn't in Alaska hadn't thought about this yet. There was no need to. Um, and so we were really able to open up their eyes to a lot of different things going on in the marijuana industry. Uh, but more, most importantly, what we wanted to make sure that did not happen in Alaska was that when they did implement uh, these licenses that you have to have when you operate a marijuana business, that they didn't have a lottery 
like they did in Washington state, because essentially the government shouldn't be behind picking winners and losers. Let the marketplace do that. And uh, so as you see now in Alaska, although they do have state residency requirements, you have to be a resident there for effectively two years if you're going to apply for a license. They don't have a lottery set up. So in Washington, they had a 90-day period. Uh, if you applied in that 90-day period, uh, you were eligible to get one of these 334 recreational marijuana licenses. Uh, in Alaska, you, if you're a state resident, you can apply. And as long as you meet the qualifications, right, you're, you're not a felon, uh, you've shown that you can comply with state rules and regulations, uh, and you've got, you've paid the fee, which is $1,000 for the application and $5,000 for a retail store or whatever particular license you're applying for, um, as long as you meet those qualifications, uh, you'll be granted a license by the state. And so we've been pretty successful up in Alaska uh, sharing the wisdom uh, of the industry at large and uh, just opening the entrepreneur's eyes to the different risks uh, involved with operating a marijuana business. I like what you said a lot, too, about the fact that it shouldn't be left up to chance. The market should decide that. I mean, you have Responsible Ohio getting shot down. It was the conglomerate they were trying to put together. You mentioned Washington uh, and the lottery system. So I think that's exactly on the right track, uh, and that's a great idea. Now, you have a number of faculty on staff, law professionals, cultivation experts, and so on. Now, when you start this venture... Did they find you or did you have to go and seek them out? Sure. Early on, uh, we went and we were seeking the best uh, people in the space. So the best attorneys, the best accountants. And from that, uh, the best doctors, uh, Michelle Sexton, who's really well respected in the industry and helped uh, write the quality control standards in Washington. Uh, a lot of industry attorneys who were helping craft the rules and regulations for the industry. Um, and so we reached out to them, but through our success and through just being able to uh, generate awareness about the Institute, but also about what we're doing, other professionals have come to us and say, hey, we would love to get involved. Here's our perspective. Here's our you know, uh, niche. Here's what we know really well. So example would be local ordinances or uh, you know, local tax planning. So each state has different you know, taxes that they have to abide by and everything like that. And so uh, through that, we've had people come to us and say, hey, we, you know, real estate agents who want to help people find uh, property, um, help them negotiate better leases, stuff like that, um, have come to us and say, hey, we, we have something to add to this industry as well. Now, I was creeping on your LinkedIn uh, before we did this podcast, and you brought up real estate. You actually have a real estate background as part of your professional history. Was that what you were doing before you got into the cannabis space, and what pushed you to make that move? Sure. So, yeah, I was in mortgage banking. My wife was a real estate agent. Uh, she still is. Uh, I still have my mortgage banking licenses. Um, with like, guaranteed rate, by the way. Uh, was with guaranteed rate. Uh, I have a buddy from there, so we should talk <laughs> about that off air. Right. Okay, never mind. Uh, but um, so when you're in the mortgage industry, you have a lot of free time on your hands. And so you have the ability to uh, work in other projects. Um, and so I've always been a cannabis consumer. And as these businesses and stuff started coming online, obviously I was naturally you know, interested being that and an entrepreneur as well. And uh, so, you know, we... Although I, I, I worked in real estate in the past, my focus now is marijuana industry. Uh, in the real estate industry, it's very black and white. It's very uh, uncreative, if you will. Uh, there's not a lot that you can do outside of you know your box and what you can do. And so in the marijuana space, there you meet so many creative people, so many different people coming from different walks of life. It's really for people uh, my age, um, you know, in their 30s, don't have a big family and have flexibility. Um, 
it's a great space to be in because right now you're you're making history. There, it's very rare uh, in a person's life that a brand new industry comes online at its very beginning, and you're at an age that you can do something about it. Right? You're not like 17 year olds today. They can't do anything about it. Or you ha- you're at a position where you have a little bit of capital or you have some connections that you can uh, count on to, to make something happen. So it's a really fun time to be in this space, and uh, I wouldn't turn it down for anything. And what's crazy is, uh, like you mentioned, it's like nothing ever before because you could even compare it to the dot-com boom if you want, but there were no like you know 25-year-old, 19-year-old kids developing tech on the illegal side, and yeah. then it went mainstream. I mean, yeah. That never happened. Yeah. So this is a whole culture that's already existed and they all have a chance to grab a piece of that pie man that's crazy now uh you're the event coordinator for the northwest cannabis classic now it's about to host its third and final event of the year in portland upcoming check out northwest cannabis classic uh on the on the web i guess and you can just find information about it and and go uh how did the first two events stack up i guess with your expectations and then what are you looking to change or improve on going into this third event sure yeah so nwcannabisclassic.com you can find us on the web there or just google nwcannabisclassic or cannabis competition um but in alaska uh the it was a really really good turnout probably larger than i had expected so in alaska we are in the federally financed municipality owned uh Denina Center, which is their beautiful big building. Um, it's the best building in Alaska. Is that difficult to get into? Uh, we had to go in front of the city council and explain to them our intentions and what we were going to do. Um, and we had the city council vote unanimously to let our event go forward. And then they brought up a second measure right there on the spot saying, hey, you know what? They've had beer craft festivals in there where they're drinking beer. And since we're regulating alcohol like marijuana or marijuana like alcohol, we think they should be able to smoke marijuana in there too. And we are like, oh, heck yeah, we, we agree with that. And so we got two uh, council members to vote yes on that. Uh, I can't believe you got government officials to use logic yeah. to vote. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's the news. Yeah. It, we should turn that into a press release or something. Exactly. That's insane. And we did, too. Uh, his name was uh, Patrick Flynn. And then the other uh, gentleman who voted yes on that particular... Uh, ordinance or or uh whatever they're calling it mm-hmm. um was uh pete peterson um and it failed two to nine but True. still we did have some support um ultimately though in alaska the environment there is much different than in washington or in oregon where we're we're putting on our event now um in alaska like i said even though they did have medical marijuana they never set up medical dispensaries so they didn't have any um infrastructure for business at all so there it's very business to business oriented it's very developmental still Um, whereas in washington and oregon you have a lot more um consumers right uh there's a lot more access points and so the consumers are well known and so from that perspective um in washington we thought we would have thousands upon thousands of people because there's so many consumers um but we had a huge windstorm on our first day we were two weeks uh, on the heels of hemp fest. And so uh, a bunch of different mixes went into not meeting my expectations, but I always have high standards. Um, It's just, uh, that's part of the game and it's part of being in the entertainment space. Uh, So, but I think we'll, we'll do really well in Portland. Uh, Our, you know, sponsorships are selling out. Um, Our vendor spaces are pretty much nearly gone and generally we'll sell half of them in the last two weeks. Uh, Here we're already more than half sold out. So in Tacoma, the indicators were were lagging. Here our leading indicators are suggesting we'll, you know, 
beat expectations. That's the Northwest Cannabis Classic. Now you have three areas and three events this year, moving towards next year and further on. Are you guys planning to expand with legalization, or are you just trying to corner that niche in the Northwest? Yeah, so that particular brand is going to focus on the Northwest, where you've got three major uh, port cities, Anchorage, uh, Tacoma, and Portland. Uh, You've got three uh, states in which marijuana is legal. Mm -hmm. Um, So we focused on those three uh, particular markets. Now, when uh, these other markets do legalize marijuana, we'll probably uh, look to see if we can at least participate in those markets. We have a another brand called the Taste of Terps. So it's a Taste of Terps Festival, effectively a craft cannabis sure. tasting festival. Um, and we would love to, you know, host those in cities throughout the West Coast all the way down, you know, to San Diego. So. Now, it seems like these events or conferences uh, around the country are typically business to business or business to consumer. What would you say is yours? Is it a blend of both, perhaps? Yeah, so uh, that's a really good observation. There are a lot of business to business shows out there. We wanted to be more focused on uh, the business to consumer. So when we were in Alaska, it was a very, uh, I'd say 50, 50 mix of, uh, business to business and business to consumer. Uh, but as we go through, um, Portland and as we go through Seattle, uh, markets, it'll probably be more, uh, business to consumer the way that we look at it. And I'm a sports guy. Yeah. Uh, so th- the growers in the industry, uh, there is no industry without the growers. There are Kobe Bryant's, our Michael Jordan's, our LeBron James, right? They're our superstars. Yeah. Um, if, if, if I'm a processor, I don't, or if I'm selling uh, processing equipment, that equipment's irrelevant if there's not cannabis to process it, you know? Uh, so it all starts there. And so we want to give those growers the recognition they deserve. And for, for so long, obviously, marijuana has been illegal and these people have been quote unquote criminals. And so it's kind of hard just changing the, the mindset and their their culture to say, hey, look, it's it's okay now to be out in the limelight and it's okay now to be in the magazines and in the press because they're so used to being behind the scenes. And so our goal is to give the growers a platform to promote their brand, promote their products, but also interact with the consumers, the end user who's uh, consuming their product. Because again, at a lot of these business to business shows, um, a lot of good things are happening, and, I, and I'm glad that business-to-business shows are, are happening because it gives the wholesale people and the people getting their businesses off the ground you know, good resources to do that. But I, I don't want people to forget about the consumer. At the end of the day, it's the if the consumer's not purchasing our wares and our products and our services, uh, you know, What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with Corey Ray, the founder of the Alaska Cannabis Institute and event coordinator for the Northwest Cannabis Classic. Just want to remind you real quick, the podcast is proudly presented by our friends at Online Marijuana Design, the preeminent packaging, marketing, and design agency in the cannabis industry. If you want to take your brand to the next level, and let's be honest, who doesn't, hit them up today, omdagency.com, omdagency.com. We've actually been working with them on a number of things, and they do some really cool stuff. So I definitely recommend you hit them up. Uh, tell them we sent you, and they'll try to hook you up with like a free consultation at least uh so just tell them that we sent you over on the program okay back to the topic uh who is the ideal attendee for the northwest cannabis classic event sure so uh and through our advertising and through our marketing uh we've been able to kind of identify that person um generally you would think because we are a consumer show more or less a, a tasting festival an award show um that our consumer would be a younger person say mid-20s um but 
on the contrary, it's actually a professional, uh, somebody between the ages of 35 and 55, uh, white collar. Um, and, and I guess what it turns out is these people, um, the people who are a little bit older, so I, I don't know what generation they're in, mm-hmm. but marijuana hasn't been as, um, in their lifetime, as legal. So for people who are, I would say, between 21 years old and, and 27 years old. The mar- millennial, we know that one. The millennials, right? right? Yeah, the millennials, right? Marijuana for them has been more or less legal in their world, right? Yeah. Uh, but for the for the baby boomers and stuff like that, where, where marijuana has been illegal, um, this whole uh, business to consumer these trade fairs, it's a way for them to come in and see things that they have never seen before because they're not every single day uh, dabbing, right? Uh, that's all, that's quote unquote new. When I told my dad, you know, my dad asked me about dabbing. He's like, what's dabbing? I'm like, oh, you know, and I tried to explain it to him. He's like, oh, it's hot knives, you know, <laughs> more or less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a way for these folks who um, have been kind of underground for a long time to kind of come out and see what's going on and see the new products and see the new developments. It's really fun. And so our ideal uh, consumer is uh, somebody between 35, 55, professional, and wants to learn more about uh, products and industry. Now you're in these cities where these events are being uh, uh, run and hosted. How are you seeing it impact the local community? Yeah. Well, I know uh, we we bring in a lot of uh, people from out of the region, right? So when we were in Alaska, more or less every vendor, um, every sponsor was from the lower 48. Mm-hmm. And so they had to book hotels. They had to, you know, they're all out in the community shopping, paying for food, gas, rental cars, et cetera. Same thing down here in Portland. Uh, we have a lot of people who are uh, consumers flying in from Portland, from Washington, from Alaska. I've been following the show the whole time. Some vendors coming up from Vegas or from around the country, um, seed companies coming in from you know wherever they're located. So you you bring a lot of different people from a lot of different areas into uh, the region. And not only are they shopping at the show, but once the show hours are you know closed, they're out in the community having dinner, um, staying at the hotel. So. I haven't been able to gauge the impact yet. I don't think we've obviously been doing this long enough, yeah. uh, but we will look at the numbers um, and hopefully we'll be able to work with the business bureaus of the community and say, hey, let's gauge this impact together. Yeah, that's a great idea, I think. I didn't even consider actually putting those numbers together, but I'm all for it. And if you do, let me know. We'll put something out on it and what you guys are actually uh, uh, doing in the community. Now, how would you address, and I like this question a lot because I'm sure you have to deal with it. How would you address the non-cannabis advocate who might react negatively to the event being hosted in their city have you hit pushback uh and what has your reaction been when you come across it sure so when we were in alaska and we're you know had to go in front of the city council and we were saying hey look at this event in the denina center that's federally financed that you guys have a mortgage effectively a mortgage to to the federal government uh we need to have marijuana in the facility uh and one of the um council members was like well why do you need to have marijuana can't you just have pictures and I said, well, look, everybody knows, you know, what... Can you have pictures of beer at a beer fest? Exactly. You're going to drive people crazy. Exactly. And here we are. This was Alaska. So, uh, and the way in Alaska that we were uh, promoting and developing the show was more educational. And so uh, we had a lot more seminars. We had a lot more educational just displays where you could go and look at. Uh, and so we told the council, hey, look. This is, you know, education on nature. And, and one of the big sticking points in Alaska was uh, 
edibles and young people getting their you know access to edibles and not being able to tell the difference between an infused edible and a non-infused edible and i said that's exactly the point young people i still have trouble doing that exactly I'm, I'm not young. people <laughs> in general yeah. uh and we we wanted to show the distinction or the lack of distinction between an infused brownie and a non-infused brownie and show this is why packaging is important yeah. this is why we need to have uh, proper labeling and this is why we need to have you know uh, our food and stuff uh, test you know our infused products tested and stuff like that um, and I think it was a very good uh, opportunity to say there's still a lot of education and a lot of people and a lot of misinformation out there uh, you know, there's still a lot of it out there. And so even though these events are consumer oriented, we still have a heavy slant of education. And so in Portland, just like we did in Tacoma, we have seminars on knowing your rights, on, uh, you know, growing and, and uh, you know, the, the rules and regulations around that, like personal growing. Um, so I think for the people who say, hey, look, you know, I think it's a bad idea to do that show. Um, at the end of the day, we, we do it in legal markets. We're trying to respect the law and be compliant. And we're just trying to, you know, show uh, the other side of the issue that people in this space are just normal people. And they're just trying to make a living just like any other decent human being. Have you faced any, uh, I guess, pushback or any setbacks, I guess, personally or professionally because of your involvement in the cannabis business? Uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned guaranteed rate. Uh, yeah. I don't work with guaranteed rate anymore uh, because they found out I was working. Uh, we were promoting cannabis uh, events and they're based in Chicago mm -hmm. and Chicago doesn't have and they just, you know, hey, you don't work here no more. Uh, wow. I had deals in the pipe and uh, they didn't pay me on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, and, and and so when you when you work in a corporate structure and corporations, uh you know, they're bigger than you and they, they can push you around. And so, yeah. you know, on the professional level, I've experienced pushback there. But once you get into the space and you're actually working day to day with other marijuana professionals, you don't get a lot of pushback. Um, we've been on conservative radio. We've gone on. We've ran commercials on Fox News uh, in the local markets that we run in. Um, and we haven't had any pushback. Uh, we, we had one pushback. When we were running the Alaska, when we, at the Alaska Cannabis Institute's uh, October 2014 event, and it was a month right before the election, and so the No on Two campaign uh, came out and they picketed, mm -hmm. and they brought their kids out, and they and then afterwards they brought their kids through our event, and this is the No on Two side saying, hey, look, uh, you know, if we legalize marijuana, then more kids are going to have access to it. And we're in the in the yes on two side, yes to legalize marijuana, saying no, uh, be a good parent and keep your children away from it. And here <laughs> Do they you allow your kids to drink. Yeah, exactly. No, then you're responsible. What are we doing here? Yeah, you and know? so they bring their kids to picket our event, and then they bring their kids down into our event, and it's mm. like that was uncalled for. Keep your kids at home. Right? Yeah, you wouldn't go to Spirits Fest in downtown San Diego, a liquor festival, and walk your kids through there. So that's a very good point, and I like that. Now, did you ever consider? Uh, not pursuing the industry because of those barriers you hit at guaranteed rate? Um, you know, it, it, uh, it hurt to, to lose, uh, kind of your identity, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and you stop and you, you, you reflect and, and you, you know, you gauge your, your interest and your passions. And if you're not going to stand for something, you'll fall for anything kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And this is something I'm willing to fight for. This is something that I'm, I'm obviously willing to lose things over and so I, f I know that I'm in the right space. 
Now, outsiders to the cannabis industry and more recently, some insiders have pointed to cannabis names. And I mentioned this in the open and something I definitely want to make sure we have time to talk about cannabis names as uh, occasionally being detrimental. Now, obviously, we're not FCC regulated, so I could mention some of them. Some of them just involve swearing or they involve more uh, provocative nature. Um, What are your thoughts, I guess, uh, on how these names are kind of reflecting the industry? I mean, personally, I see barriers where some of these names being created are perhaps negatively impacting the ability of the industry to go into the mainstream. I mean, when you look at alcohol specifically, all those names are very approachable to a family. I mean, you don't have anything that you really wouldn't feel comfortable saying to your kid. Mm-hmm. You know, Grey Goose. Like, that's like old Mother Hubbard type thing. Yeah. But then on, in the cannabis industry, sure, you have a number of names that aren't... Um, that aren't poorly reflecting of the product because these products are great, but when you assign a name to them, what are you seeing or feeling from the industry as to how that might be impacting it positively or negatively, or what's your just overall thoughts? No, that's a a, a good question because I think a lot of the breeders and a lot of the people who are naming uh, these strains haven't thought about that, right? They haven't thought about the, the the branding of the name and the kind of barriers that they'll run into. Um, because they can't reach certain markets because of the particular name, right? They can't go on radio. They can't go on TV. Um, and again, being in Alaska, they have ATF, Alaska Thunderfuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, obviously that's not going anywhere uh, yeah. mainstream. And um, so they have to call it ATF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you'll start to uh, get more names that are mainstream. But I think at the end of the day, marijuana still carries a, a counterculture to it. And so you're going to get these unique names. You're going to get these uh, creative names. Uh, we were talking earlier about another passion of mine, which is horse racing Mm -hmm. and horse racing. A lot of it's all about breeding. And so in this case, American Pharaoh who won the triple crown this year, uh, that would be a particular strain name, right? And American Pharaoh will go on and he'll breed with other horses and they'll create another strain name. Uh, and so I think, uh, you'll see that with breeders and growers, they'll start applying really, you know, nice, uh, strain names that they can be mainstream, um, but at the end of the day, I still think you'll have stuff like, you know, devil's lettuce and, you know, just the, the innuendo of being counterculture. Uh, and, I think it's, and you never want to forget that counterculture cause that's ultimately where, where the industry was forced to. And then the reemergence is from that. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned a couple times earlier, you're hearing this podcast, crystal clear HD sound cause of one of our, uh, one of our awesome sponsors online marijuana design. If you've been living under the cannabis rock, they're the absolute leaders in everything, design, marketing, and branding, hit them up today. You've heard it a couple times on the show. They do some great Great stuff. They're ready to help you out with your goals. OMDAgency.com. Tell them we sent you and they will hook you up as best they can. Now, uh, you mentioned some of your previous work. You were a marketing assistant with the Seattle Supersonics. And what's funny about this is some of our audience is probably like in their early 20s. They're going to be like the Supersonics. Like, what yeah, is that? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how was that? It was an early opportunity in your professional life to get kind of a cool gig. Yeah. Tell us about it a little bit. Yeah, it was one of the, uh, you know, some of the best days of my life. Uh, the Sonics were uh, still decently good we had Richard Lewis and Ray Allen on the squad then Uh, I think the year before we had just beat the Sacramento Kings in the playoffs uh, and we went and we played the Spurs we lost to them 4-2 in the series and the Spurs went on 
I think to sweep the Pistons in the finals. Um, so we were the only team that year, the Sonics, to the year before I worked there. I was in grad school at Seattle U. Um, the uh, front office of the Seattle Supersonics came to through our class and they said, hey, do you guys want this marketing internship? And I was like, oh, heck yeah. Uh, and so they, they gave us this internship and I was able to work with the players and just do grassroots, you know, marketing, opening courts, refurbishing courts, working with inner city uh, kids. And through that, experience i was able to uh become the director of media relations at emerald downs which is again thoroughbred horse racing but uh yeah it was fantastic they ended up moving yeah were you heartbroken uh you know what we drafted so we drafted uh kevin durant Mm -hmm. he played for the sonics for a year uh he he was he was just he was young and uh skinny and not very strong but then he turned into the stud and superstar that he is and that hurts Right, because that could have been all those. I mean, he'd probably rather be in Seattle than Oklahoma City too. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, think so. Yeah, I'm just saying. Who was your favorite player while you were there for that like year and a half two years? Oh, ago? Ray Allen. Oh man, he was Mr. Basketball. He was so awesome. He yeah. uh, he was silky smooth, averaging 25 a game. <laughs> oh, he was so good. Now, what are your plans after this last event? Now, obviously, this entire year, you've been going from event to event to event. Yeah. I'm assuming you're going to do the same thing next year. But, I mean, uh, the, the the conference wraps up the final day uh, in Portland. What are your plans? Mm-hmm. Are you going on vacation right away, or are you just kind of well, getting back to work? My day-to-day is uh, lecturing at the Cannabis Institute. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have, you know, we still do lectures every Monday and Thursday. Uh, every, you know, so I'll still do that. Um, and then we'll start ramping up again the event in Alaska in the springtime. So no real vacation. Uh, the one thing about working in the cannabis space, like, what would I? This is vacation. Like this, you know what I mean? What, where would I go on vacation to? Yeah. The, you know, this is it's pretty fun. Uh, so I work a lot, but I wouldn't have it anyway, other way. And uh, if I went on vacation, they would probably just be like Portland or you know the yeah. mecca of weed. So um, you know we're, we're doing we're doing all right. I don't. I want to work. I want to work. What does Corey Ray do in his free time? Horse racing, right? Uh, the Breeders' Cup was this past weekend, so we watched that. I like to play John Madden football. Uh, my wife's pregnant uh, with twin girls, and so we'll be welcoming them into the world. So uh, that's what I'll be doing in my free time. Do you guys argue about the names yet? Because twins, are you both taking one? or No, twin names. Are, they're picked. She picked them out. It's Macy and Mia. There you so, go. Yeah. And you had no input? I, I like the name Macy. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> Yeah. I've already picked my favorite child. <laughs> exactly. Are they? Oh, I guess. Do you yeah. find out if they're identical out of the gate? Yeah, they're identical. Okay, cool. So you can just call Macy no matter what. Exactly. And pretty much clear. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, what a deal. Yeah. Now, um, one of the last questions. Let's get to. I guess. How about this one? In terms of putting on these things as a whole, what do you think's been the hardest part about getting all three of these? Uh, I mean, scheduled run, everything you have to do for a conference. What would you pinpoint as the hardest part? Uh. Like kind of being a, a one-man, two-man band, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Kendra and I do more or less all of the work. Um, I'm sure you can relate with this. Just, you know, always kind of feeling like there's never enough time in the day. Yeah. And you have all these things that you want to do. And so the har- the hardest, absolutely the hardest thing is prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always talk about doing the right work. You know, we can all be busy, um, but we have to choose the work that gets us the best you know, return on investment. And so just every single day kind of identifying what's the right work to do today. Um, that's the hardest part because social media is important and how important is it versus signing that new sponsor versus, you know what I mean? You just have so many different things that you got to do. Which one are you going to do today first? 
His name's Corey Ray, as mentioned earlier in the broadcast, the founder of the Alaska Cannabis Institute and the event coordinator from the Northwest Cannabis Classics. That That's nwcannabisclassic.com, if I'm not mistaken. I'm getting the head nod, so we're good. Uh, Corey, I mean, we hit 30 minutes. It flew by. I think I even didn't have time for a couple of questions I had in here, but we had a bunch of follow-up questions, so that's fine. That's how it flows on the show sometime. Uh, did we... Did we get everything? Yeah. Uh, NorthwestNWCannabisClassic.com. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Portland, December 6th. Uh, we've got a great show lined up. So if you want it, it's $25 tickets. Not that expensive. Not a super cheap, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Consumers will be able to come in there, taste their favorite concentrates, edibles, dry flower. We've got the best space in the Pearl District. It's called Pure Space. It's mm. absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's going to be Probably the best event we put on. I didn't here. know it was that cheap. Twenty five dollars is a steal. Yeah. Holy cow. Anyways, okay, Corey, thank you so much for being our guest. Tim, man. I appreciate it. And we'll keep up with what you guys are doing, especially as you go finishing this Portland event uh, and into next year. Okay. Like I said, guys, check them out. NWCannabisClassic.com. It's going to do it for us on the broadcast for Corey Ray. Uh, uh, Corey Ray, excuse me, a fantastic guest on the program. I've been Tim Stromble. We will see you next time right here on the program. Y'all have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to the Ed Cash and Biz Show. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed and check out our social media. We want you to stay in front of the green rush.